Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Progressive American. I'm Connor, back with another morning podcast about the week's news from a progressive perspective. Welcome back to the show. It is July 10th, 2021, and today we will be discussing the recent hack of the RNC, the assassination of Haiti's president, Trump's lawsuit against Twitter and Facebook, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the recent news about vaccine effectiveness against the Delta variant of COVID-19. With that out of the way, let's jump into the news. On Tuesday, Bloomberg News reported that the Republican National Committee had its computer systems breached by Russian hackers. Initially, RNC officials denied an attack had breached their systems, but quickly acknowledged that they were through their chief of staff, Richard Walters. Around the same time the breach occurred, another Russian hacking group was carrying out a ransomware attack, leading some officials to believe that they may be connected, but nothing has been confirmed. However, the group APT-29 is believed to be responsible for the attack. APT is also believed to be responsible for the hack on the DNC in 2016. However, the Kremlin has denied that they were involved. That said, the long-term pattern of Russian interference in American politics suggests that this is but one pattern of behavior by the Russian government, and its denial is another to obfuscate it. That reality is partially why President Biden announced his sanctions against Russia in mid-April over their previous hack in the solar winds attack. This isn't to mean that we should wage war, far from it. But Russia's continued attempts to interfere or attack the U.S. in cyber warfare should not be ignored. Now, it's one thing to see this on the news, it's distant and abstract, but consider how paralyzed America was when Russian hackers attacked pipelines and how prices spiked. Then there is last week's ransomware attack, which managed to extort $11 million from JBS, an American meatpacking company. Russia is attempting to finance itself, making American life more chaotic while attempting to strengthen its faltering position. It is not a partisan issue to acknowledge a paper tiger's aggression, nor is it imperialist to return the favor. I don't want to be hawkish, nor do I want to suggest that diplomacy should be abandoned. It really shouldn't. However, I want to emphasize how important it is to defend our country in the growing field of cyber warfare. Making sure that countries like Russia think twice before attacking is a matter of self-defense and it shouldn't be a Democratic or Republican issue to point that out. In other foreign policy news, the president of Haiti, Hovna Moise, has been killed in an attack at his home. The attack, which took place on the night of July 7th, resulted in the president's death, his wife's injury, and his daughter being forced to hide to protect herself. Carl Henry Destin, a judge in Haiti, reported that the late president was shot at least 12 times in his bedroom. Motives for the killing remain unclear. However, 17 people have been arrested, one of whom is of American descent, and the country is now in turmoil. President Biden expressed concern about the state of the country in an interview and has promised support. We need a lot more information, but it's it's, it's, it's very worrisome about the state of Haiti. What is concerning about this, aside from the murder of a nation's executive, is that it is unclear who is currently supposed to be running Haiti. Immediately after the assassination took place, the interim prime minister, Claude Joseph, took control of the police and army, claiming he was the legitimate prime minister and declaring Haiti to be in a state of siege. This would mean that the country is effectively in a state of martial law. However, his legitimacy is up for debate. Before Moise died, he appointed another interim prime minister, Ariel Henry. Henry was likely the favorite, as he was expected to be sworn in this week. Combined with the fact that the entire lower chamber of Haiti's parliament is empty, it becomes all the more precarious for Haiti and its people. Now, I want you to think of something for a moment. Imagine that you live in Haiti, or in any other country dealing with this right now. 
Your president is dead, someone is claiming to be in charge of literally everything, and they might not even be the legitimate leader of your country. The highest judge in your country has also died from COVID, basically meaning the judiciary can't stop this. There is basically little resistance against this new leader, but of course that doesn't immediately mean that he's a dictator. But it could easily turn into that. And if it's not addressed soon, it may very well become that. And while it may be tempting for some to argue that America should intervene, it is important to remember that we already have a history with Haiti after our previous invasion of the country under Woodrow Wilson. That precarious history is partially why we have to handle this with restraint. The people are trying to make up their mind about what they're going to be dealing with for the next couple years, and we don't want to make things worse. Additionally, we don't know what is happening in its entirety. For all we know, that the current interim prime minister is legitimate. For now, we should just be ready to accept refugees if it gets to the point that the state falls into a dictatorship. We should be supportive, but not reactive. In domestic news, the former president, Donald Trump, has sued Twitter and Facebook, arguing that they are acting as state actors and thus violate the First Amendment by banning him. The decision comes after multiple failed attempts to counteract his ban from Twitter with alternative platforms. Parler, one of the first platforms to act as a counterpart to Twitter, has seen some success, but is largely a platform for right-wingers who are largely outside contemporary politics, thus making it undesirable for a base that revels in angering its opposition. You can't exactly fight the enemy when you can't see them. Getter, by contrast, is a laughable failure. It was hacked the first day it was launched, and was subsequently bombarded with animated pornography, rendering it a cesspool with little control over itself. Trump's own blog failed to last a month, shutting down after 29 days due to a low level of attention. And considering Trump's decision to fundraise off the suit, it's not hard to suggest that he doesn't actually care about winning one way or the other. Instead, it could be useful to con or gin up their base into a new movement. Either way, it will fail, as the court has previously ruled against the argument Trump is attempting to use. In 2019, the Supreme Court ruled in Manhattan Community Access Corp v. Halleck that private organizations are not subject to the First Amendment. In other words, private organizations can't be considered state actors based on current precedent. Mind you, the majority opinion was established by Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who Trump himself appointed. Now, I'm wary of social media outlets and their growing power, but I'm more worried about Trump and his ilk spread lies that lead to violence. If someone spread lies about you that convince people to attack you or other such violence, you would rightfully expect that someone would act to stop it. The same is true on social media. Trump spread a lie about the election, which in turn created an attack on our capital, and now he's paying the price. If you are really worried about the domination of a few media companies in the online sphere, then antitrust law is a far better solution than Trump's lawsuit. In more international news, the U.S. is pulling out of Afghanistan. The Biden administration is pulling the last troops out of the troubled nation after nearly 20 years of war, with the last air base being vacated as of July 5th. The move has angered some of the Afghani forces left to fight the rising Taliban, but many Americans support the move as the exhausting conflict has come to a close. Even John Bolton, a former advisor to Trump and notorious hawk, has recognized that public opinion has shifted against the war. Biden has announced the withdrawal will be completed by August 31st. Defending the decision, the Biden administration held a speech in which Biden said, So let me ask those who want us to stay. How many more, how many thousands more Americans' daughters and sons are you willing to risk? 
how long would you have them stay? Already we have members of our military whose parents fought in Afghanistan 20 years ago. Would you send their children and their grandchildren as well? Would you send your own son or daughter? After 20 years, a trillion dollars spent training and equipping hundreds of thousands of Afghan national security and defense forces. 2,448 Americans killed, 20,722 more wounded, and untold thousands coming home with unseen trauma to their mental health. I will not send another generation of Americans to war in Afghanistan with no reasonable expectation of achieving a different outcome. The move is complicated. The Taliban is rising and taking more territory, and there are serious questions about whether the Afghani government will be able to maintain itself after the United States withdraws. This war and its eventual end are morally great. If the Afghan government falls, we could have yet another fall of Saigon scenario, as we had in Vietnam. And we would still have a hand in that crime. But the converse is also incredibly concerning because of the excess death and civilians who lost their lives to this war as it continued for nearly 20 years. If possible, a deal is necessary, one that we may have to enforce in some way. But still, if we are pulling out, I just hope we can find people who need our help and help them as best we can as they flee. Peace is painful, it seems. In more positive news, our current vaccines appear to be effective at preventing serious illness and serious harm to the human body from the Delta variant, despite previous reporting. Dr. Anthony Fauci recently explained that, quote, no matter what study you look at, the protection against severe disease leading to hospitalization is always well within 90%, regardless of the study, regardless of the country, unquote meaning that the virus can be halted and be prevented from causing serious illness with the current vaccines we have. And current vaccines have been so effective that there is now pressure to approve the vaccines fully for usage, according to Politico. The CDC currently estimates that the Delta variant is the most prevalent strain of COVID-19 in the United States. So if more people get vaccinated, we can actively deal with this threat effectively. More than 183 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine and 135 million doses of Moderna's have been administered in the country. There have been nowhere near the number of problems needed to end vaccination or find a new one. If you look at the efficacy rates at preventing severe hospitalization and severe disease, the vaccines are exceptionally effective. This includes Moderna, Sputnik, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer. All of these vaccines are exceptionally effective at dealing with the Delta variant, so it is incredibly important that people get vaccinated. You have power to deal with these things. And if we include the booster shot that we are going to likely get within the fall, we are going to see significant improvements if we actively pursue a vaccine program. So in other words, we actually have power to deal with this thing. We're not helpless anymore. We have the deliberative power to change things. So it's a bit of good news and you can breathe for a moment. Still, that doesn't mean we're done yet, but it is a sign that we can control how we react to these things and how well we can do. If you're not yet vaccinated, I would highly recommend scheduling an appointment and getting vaccinated as soon as possible. You're doing your part to help America and the world wide over. That's all for this week's episode. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it on Twitter and any other social media that you want. It helps the podcast grow and I really appreciate it. If you want to see more content outside of the podcast, consider checking out the newsletter on Substack. Just look up the Progressive American and Substack and you'll find me there. 
Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>